I can't recall the last time an 8-0 team got so little respect. Yes, you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That front gets pressure, collapses the pocket, and wrecks quarterbacks. is the Faithful Fanatic Podcast with Nick and Marco. This is the third episode of the Faithful Fanatic Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Newman, at NinerNick underscore 22. I'm joined with Marco Martinez, our co-host here at the Faithful Fanatic Pod, at Marco underscore Mart 1205 on Twitter. We're getting ready for the 49ers-Jets game after a very long work week, after the embarrassing loss to the Arizona Cardinals. And what's a better way to get back on track than a game against the New York Jets? The 49ers are licking their chops. Kyle Shanahan's licking his chops. Jimmy Garoppolo's licking his chops. The defensive line are licking their chops, ready to dismantle the New York Jets. Marco, what are your initial thoughts on this game? Uh, my initial thoughts are it's a, it's a good game to bounce back. I mean, you're looking at the New York Jets. They don't really have a um, dangerous run game. They don't have any um, weapons on the outside at receiver. Their defense isn't that good. I mean, this is a game to get your offense going and get your offense uh, momentum and, and some confidence to go, go into the season. I mean, they didn't start too well. Jimmy needs to step it up, so it's a good game for him to – um, knock off all that rust he had. And that D-line, it's just this is the perfect time to lick your chops and pin your, your ears back and get back to the quarterback. I don't know. One of those things where I'm excited. I'm really excited, actually. I'm excited. And again, this is a great opportunity for the 49ers to get back on track. And I was talking about this earlier today. or going back to last week when the team played the Arizona Cardinals. It's always tough playing a divisional opponent. I didn't expect the outcome to be what it was, the end result to be what it was. But going into that first game, I was talking about just find a way to beat the Cardinals. I don't care if it's a great victory. I don't care if it's an ugly victory. Just get the job done. Obviously, that did not happen. And I'm doubling down. I'm getting greedy right now. The Niners, the Super Bowl contending San Francisco 49ers need to go into New York and just destroy, absolutely destroy the Jets. That's the only way personally I'll get any satisfaction out of the game because if this is a close game that's kept tight and Robbie Gold kicks a game-winning field goal or something like that, I'm still going to be hungry for more. To really show me that this team's ready to turn the page and start playing good football, they need to go in from the first quarter, play full four quarters of the 49er football we saw last year and just blow out the Jets. And Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills quarterback, was able to throw for 300 yards against their defense. Josh Allen. So Jimmy Garoppolo, whether George Kittle plays or not, George Kittle is still in question for this upcoming Sunday with a knee sprain. Even if he doesn't practice all week, it looks like he's going to be a game-time decision. And it looks like he has a good chance of playing, but it's not guaranteed. Brandon Ayuk is supposedly going to play on Sunday. It's looking good for him to play. The team signed Mohamed Sanu. So there's added firepower to the receiving group. 
And I'm expecting Jimmy Garoppolo to have a huge bounce back game. What do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Oh, yeah, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have a huge bounce back game, but I think Kyle's going to get that, that running game going real fast. Um, I think Raheem Mostert and Jarek McKinnon, Taven Coleman is actually going to be playing. He's not going to be dealing with the the air quality issue that he has going. So that should be a bonus. Um, and then on top of that, I think the biggest addition to the 49ers offense is good. not not Mohamed Sanu, but I think it's going to be Brandon Ayuk because Brandon Ayuk was Jimmy Garoppolo's security blanket. Jimmy Garoppolo hyped up Brandon Ayuk saying that he loves throwing at him. He sees the offense like a quarterback. He finds soft spots in the zone. Um, I could throw it anywhere and he's going to go get it. So I think for Jimmy, he didn't have any trust with Dante Pettis. He has a little bit of trust with Kendrick Bourne, but you've seen he was timid to let the let the arm sling. So one of yeah, the things that I want to see him do is just let it out. Let it out. Um, and I think Kyle needs to run the ball a lot more early and then use the play action off of that to allow Jimmy to be comfortable, to move his feet in the pocket and allow him to slide get him out of the pocket, roll it out, get Jimmy comfortable early and often. That's a great point because going back to Sunday, I didn't agree with a lot of the play calling Shanahan had in place to get Garoppolo in rhythm when he was clearly struggling. So I feel like getting him in a groove early on, get the ball out of his hands early, call some bootlegs, get him rolling out of the pocket where he's comfortable making plays. And I agree that the addition of Iuke is going to have a greater impact than Mohamed Sanu this specific game. I expect Sanu to play just because the injuries at the wide receiver position, but not necessarily log a lot of snaps. But I do believe he can start having that poor man, Emmanuel Sanders impact as soon as week three against the Giants. If you go back to Emmanuel Sanders stat line last year, he averaged only about three, four catches a game, right around 50 yards, and was targeted about five times. Those are realistic numbers for a guy like Sanu, who's on the tail end of his career, to still come in and produce. The team did not necessarily rely on Emmanuel Sanders as a number one wide receiver. They don't need a number one wide receiver. And I think coming to San Francisco, he doesn't have that same pressure that he had in New England, where the Patriots just traded a sixth, I mean, excuse me, a second round pick for him. There's a lot of pressure when you go to a team that just traded a second round pick for you as far as in the locker room around the fan base and Sanu couldn't live up to it. So right now the 49ers will take anything they can get out of Sanu and they're going to him for more of on-field production. Whereas Sanders last year, when he came in, they were not just looking for on-field production, but they were looking for a veteran presence in the locker room. And right now I don't think the 49ers wide receivers really need that. They've gone to the Super Bowl already. Kendrick Bourne, was the old dog in the locker room as surprising as it was in the wide receiver room, at least having more experience under his belt than any other receiver in the offense as far as playing in Kyle Shanahan's system. And now you have Sanu coming in. And I wrote about this for 49ers web zone the other day is that it's not Sanu's place right now to come in and take these young receivers under his wing. That was Sanders job last year. These guys are not necessarily ready to go, but they think they're ready to go. And Sanu just needs to go out there and perform on the field. He doesn't have to take Kendrick Bourne under his wing. Kendrick Bourne's played in a Super Bowl, you know. But then looking at the other guys like Dante Pettis and Trent Taylor, I can see them being salty because they're upset that they didn't perform well enough to avoid Kyle Shanahan making this move. So I think that as long as Sanu doesn't step on anybody's toes, and if he does, so be it. The wide receivers aren't performing well. And as long as he 
can average around Sanders' numbers of three catches for 40, 45 yards and score a touchdown, make a big play every once in a while. This is a great addition, a no-brainer to bring in Sanu and add him to the 49ers offense. Sorry, I know I went on a little bit of a rant there, but I'm excited to see this added firepower for the offense and for Jimmy Garoppolo because he desperately needs it. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, when you look at um, Emmanuel Sanders' stats last year, if you take out the Arizona Cardinals game and then you take out the um, New Orleans Saints game, he only had like 300 yards total in, was I believe, eight games. So yep. if you take out that, it's like, okay, there's not much production you're trying to replace. And Mohamed Sanu could replace that production easily. I mean, the New York, uh, the New England Patriots, sorry about that, they re- did not use Mohamed Sanu as he should have been used. So last year, they tried using him as a deep threat. They tried using him in in a way that he does not fit. And Tom Brady, his age showed last year. I mean, when he would push the ball downfield, Mohamed Sanu would be open, and he would underthrow him. And then when over the middle, he would throw him way too high. He's a big target, but he's not 6'6", not 6'7". So at some point, you have to figure out a balance in Mohamed Sanu. He's a good deep threat, but he's also better over the middle. So that's going to benefit Jimmy Garoppolo as he loves to go over the middle. Um, On top of that, I think you hit it perfectly. You hit it perfectly. He needs to come in and, and be himself. Don't come over and take over the the team and try to be yep. someone else so you're not. Just be yourself. Come in, yep. fit in. Bingo. I and that's, Go ahead. And that's the thing. I mean, when you look at Dante Pettis and you look at Trent Taylor, who are trying to be receivers on the roster, they're not trying to be themselves because they're trying to fit in too fast. If you, It's kind of weird. You're trying to push them in a role that they're really not supposed to be in. Another thing I totally agree with is he doesn't have to come in. Like going back to the pressure of being traded for a second-round pick, you try to act like this big receiver because you look at receivers that were traded for second-round picks. DeAndre Hopkins, look at that trade. What did the Texans get in return for him? You know, it's just like there's a lot of pressure when you're traded for a pick that high, and now he can just be himself. He doesn't have to try to be this big, big shot receiver that he's never been. He's been a steady third, fourth option throughout his career, which is all he needs to be on this team. He just needs to look the part as an NFL wide receiver and occasionally make plays because right now Dante Pettis isn't cutting it, although he was getting open a lot now that the All-22 film is out, and that's kind of what's going around the 49ers community right now as far as the fan base goes, is that Pettis was open a great amount and Garoppolo was just either not seeing him. And the one time he was targeted, there's some controversy there about whether or not Pettis should have gone all out and dove for that ball. But it's a tough catch, in my opinion, for any wide receiver to make. But yeah, so Sanu's coming in, much needed firepower to the passing game. Garoppolo is going to try his best to get back on track. And I went back to something Colin Coward said last year around when Jimmy Garoppolo beat the Cardinals on a Thursday night game. He was talking about how Garoppolo has something called just the it factor and quarterback face, how he's a good-looking guy. He's a guy that carries himself with a lot of confidence, has that swagger to him, and he's just so used to being the guy. I know he backed up Brady for a couple years, but Tom Brady's the GOAT. It's a great learning experience to be behind Brady. And Garoppolo just needs to come out with that confidence, with that swagger, with that gunslinger mentality because if you watched him over the last several years it starts with the 49ers he was never afraid to try to squeeze the ball in a tight windows he has full confidence in his arm and at times it could cost him it has costed him with interceptions but him just believing in 
in himself and his ability to thread the football into where it needs to go. He needs to find that. He needs to carry himself with that sort of swagger, that sort of confidence, cockiness, even that he's going to get the ball where it needs to go. And that was just nowhere to be found against the Cardinals. He was second guessing himself, not going over his reads correctly, staring guys down. So we need to see that Jimmy Garoppolo that was leading this team through that gauntlet of a stretch last year where they played the Packers, the Saints, the Ravens, the Rams, the Seahawks. We need to see that Jimmy Garoppolo and we need to see him soon because the longer he is not the quarterback we saw last year, the harder the road to the Super Bowl is going to be. If he can't get back on track and it costs the 49ers a few more games and he's large at largely at blame for what happened against the Cardinals, then this team's just not going to end up with a high-tier spot as far as seeding goes, and the road to the Super Bowl is going to be that much more difficult. It's going to be difficult to win the division because if you look at the Rams, you look at the Seahawks, they're good. The Seahawks especially. They have a quarterback that looks like an MVP in Russell Wilson who should win one before he retires, and the Cardinals are up and coming. So it's time to take care of business. Garoppolo needs to turn this thing around, and the Jets are a great opportunity to do just that. Oh, yeah, and it comes from trust. I mean, last when, when he came in, his first five starts, he didn't really understand the offense, so he relied on his receivers who knew the offense and trusted them. So that's why he made those tight window throws, and he allowed him to just play freely. And then coming off his ACL injury, he trusted them to make plays for him. I mean, he had full trust in them, and now when you're throwing to guys you don't really trust, you're going to be more hesitant to throw the ball. So it's one of those things where he just needs to be – um, trusting his receivers, the guys like Dante Pettis. Yeah, I mean, you don't really want to throw to Dante Pettis due to his history of allergating arming and having interceptions bounce off your chest. But now looking at it, our offense should get going. There's key injuries on defense. Richard Sherman's headed to the IR for three weeks. D, D Ford has a neck injury that shouldn't bother him. He should start. Witherspoon has a concussion. He's coming off the concussion and should be healthy for Sunday. What do you think of Richard Sherman going down, Witherspoon stepping up, and then the 49ers having to activate Dante Johnson and then sign Ken Webster off the Dolphins practice squad? I'll jump in and give my thoughts on Sherman first before we jump into the moves and transactions regarding the secondary. So it's a very fortunate time for Richard Sherman to go on IR. If you look at the Jets, they don't exactly overwhelm you with their wide receivers. They have Chris Hogan and Rashad Perriman and Jamison Crowder, who might not even play, and he's their number one weapon, primarily plays in the slot. So when the team's man-to-man, you'd see Kwan Williams or even in zone lining up on his side a lot. And then you look at the Giants, and they have Darius Slayton, I believe, who was a rookie last year, caught two touchdowns on the Monday night game against the Steelers. He's a little bit of a threat, and you got Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, who I'm not sure is going to play or not. He missed Monday's game. So for the next three weeks, including the Eagles, there's not huge weapons as far as opposing wide receivers go. And I think starting this Sunday, you won't even be able to tell that Richard Sherman's on IR because I expect the pass rush to perform that well. Where Nick Bosa, Javon Kinlaw, D4 missed practice today with a neck injury. So we don't know what's happening with D4, but I'm expecting the pass rush just to spook Sam Darnold and just make the ball get out of his hand so quickly that whether it's Akilah Witherspoon, whether it's Dante Johnson, whoever it is starting opposite of Mosley, they're going to hold their own. 
And if they can't do that, then I'm worried about the pass rush because clearly this is not the same pass rush that we saw last year. If that's if it does not happen. Yeah, I mean, the the Jets offensive line isn't the greatest. Makai Becton, their first overall pick um this year's draft, he's banged up. Um Bosa has said that he he's excited to play their brand of um defense against a non-mobile quarterback. So that's important. I mean, I believe it's Sam Darnold who said he sees ghosts sometimes against <laughs> pass rush. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was Sam Darnold. So that's a great thing. I mean, he's gonna see Javon Kinlaw up the middle, hopefully Eric Armstead, Bosa. There's no way Makai Becton blocks Bosa at all. I mean, I understand that you're you're a young tackle, but there's no way you block Bosa. So that's going to be interesting for our pass rush to get going. Um, I think Dante Johnson is an interesting bring up to the 53-man roster. Um, during uh, preseason last year, he played pretty good. I mean, everyone likes to bash him because of Dante Johnson, and they know what Dante Johnson is from the past as a corner, yeah. as well as what he did on special teams last week. But that special teams wasn't his his fault. So that's one of the things where I think Dante Johnson, if he has to step into a starting role or if one of the corners goes down and he's start, uh, starting in place of them, I think he'll hold his own. I think Dante Johnson, if he holds his own and you can't really tell he's on the field, it's going to be because of the pass rush. I still can't believe Dante Johnson is on this team because every time I think he's on his way out, the team brings him back and they keep bringing him back over and over and over and over. It seems like he's been on the Niners for like 15 years. I'm pretty sure he was like cornerbacking along with Walt Harris way back when. Obviously not that long, but it's just Dante Johnson in 2017 was horrible, you know? But if you look at the secondary in general in 2018 before the pass rush came along, they weren't good either. So who knows with Dante Johnson? He's long. He fits into the Niners scheme. He may make a few plays, a couple pass breakups, which would be nice. But I'm really holding out hope that Akello Witherspoon, who is in concussion protocol right now, practiced in a non-contact blue jersey, I'm really hoping he can play because this is a golden opportunity. I'm going to be bold here, and I'm going to say this is the most golden opportunity Akello Witherspoon is going to have throughout his early parts of his career. And this is what I mean by that, is that Richard Sherman's hurt right now. Richard Sherman is a free agent. If you look at what just happened, he's getting hurt. He's getting old. He got burnt like toast in the Super Bowl. He was targeted six times, gave up six receptions, did not look good against the Cardinals and DeAndre Hopkins. The team is going to be extremely reluctant to re-sign Sherman, and I've already voiced this. I don't think Sherman's coming back. I believe this is last year. So now you have Akello Witherspoon who has this opportunity to start for at least three games, who's entering a contract year. His four-year rookie deal's going to expire at the end of the year. If he can perform at a high level for the next three games, one, when Sherman comes back, I think there might be a controversy or a lot of debate going back and forth between Robert Sala, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch as to who should be the other outside starting cornerback out uh, opposite of Sherman because Mosley did not look particularly good on Sunday against the Cardinals either. He led the team with 15 tackles, but you don't want your cornerback leading the team in tackles with 15. That's a ridiculous number. So going back to Witherspoon, if he starts to play like we saw him play against the Buccaneers, the Bengals last year, the Steelers before he got hurt, he can, one, make himself some money because he's going to look like a 
bargain by free agent who you might be able to get back on a one-year, four or five million dollar contract more than he's made at any point in his career. And then if it's a prove it year, then he plays well next year and see what happens. But this team is desperate for cornerbacks, for young cornerbacks. And Witherspoon has all the physical traits of an ideal corner. He's 6'3, runs a 4'4, 4'5'40 is long. So if they can get him performing to how he performed in early on in the season last year, things are going to look good for him and a lot can start to break his way. And if he does not take advantage of this opportunity and he ends up falling behind Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley, Richard Sherman is like the fourth or fifth outside cornerback. He's not going to make any money next year. Who's going to give Witherspoon a contract after that? No one's going to give him that three, four, five million dollars. He may earn on the open market. Even that's a little bit of a stretch, but this is a great opportunity for him. And he needs to hold his own and look good. And I'm just really hoping just for his own personal sake and for the team's sake, because he has potential that he's able to go against the Jets. Yeah, I mean, Witherspoon has the physical traits you want, number one receiver. He has the size. He has the footwork. He has the speed. Everything you ask for in a corner, he has it. The mentality needs to be there. Um, I was talking the other, um, earlier to my, my dad. I was telling him, look, man. This is the opportunity that could either make or break Spoon's career. Absolutely. I mean, you step in, you you allow the defensive line to cook, and you hold your own against whatever receivers in your way. This is the opportunity for you to allow the 49ers to move on from Sherman, and you take the grasp and make it a controversy when Sherman comes back. Does Sherman start? Does Mosley start? You have to put pressure on the 49ers' front office. They were just trying to trade you. Show your value. I mean, I understand that that you want to be the the number one guy. Show it now. The mentality needs to be there. You have everything, all this weight on your shoulders. Let it out, man. Um, I do think he holds his own. I do think he balls out, and I do think he starts opposite of Mosley. And when Sherman comes back, I hope there's controversy on who starts for um, opposite of Sherman. I hope it's Mosley or Witherspoon battling it out week four and- to start. That's the best case scenario is that when Sherman returns, there is some sort of controversy because you hopefully have two cornerbacks that were playing well enough to be in the conversation of starting. Hopefully it's not because both of them have been playing so horribly. It's like, oh man, which one are we going to start opposite of Sherman? Because they both have sucked the first couple weeks of the year. Not that Mosley was horrific by any means last week, but I was expecting more from him. So Another thing why I believe the secondary and the pass rush will have a big game is because the Jets will be one-dimensional. They had an extremely low rushing total last week against the Bills. Le'Veon Bell got hurt. And my golden ticket here about this game is that Frank Gore, the inconvenient truth, the ageless wonder, Frank Gore is going to be starting against the 49ers on Sunday at the age of 65 years old, got his ARP card, the senior citizen in a retire home, retirement home. Frank Gore is starting against the Niners, and that's going to grab the attention of a lot of Niner fans because it's Frank Gore who's going to be in Canton in the next few years. So nothing against Frank, but come on. What can he really average per touch against this front seven? Two to three yards. I'd be surprised if they gave up more than that. And if the team didn't give up this devastating loss to Arizona, I'd be like, let's slide Frank Gore some yards here. Give him some breaks and let him gash us for 100 and get closer to 
getting up there on the all-time rushing list total. But, of course, we don't have that luxury right now because we're trying to desperately get a win to get the season back on track. So, But it's nice to see Frank Gore. And what are your thoughts on the ground game? Do we have to worry about Frank Gore and whoever else the Jets have in their backfield? Yeah, I mean, Frank Gore is a GOAT. I mean, I have his jersey signed and everything. Frank Gore is going to go for 100 yards on us. <laughs> I, I, I'm calling it right now. Um, you can't bet Frank Gore out. He averages, I believe his career average is like 40 yards and something. So when you look at Frank Gore, he's going to find some holes. He's going to find the crease, even if there's nothing there. Frank Gore knows how to fall forward and pick up three yards, even if there's negative three yards for him. He finds a way to pick up yards. And that's the thing with Frank Gore I've always loved about him is he's always falling forward. So the 49ers, if there's a little gap, Quan Alexander's not going to tackle him. No, there's no one, no one in our secondary is going to want to tackle him in open space. He's going to just lower his shoulders on you. I mean, Tart might want to tackle him. Fred Warner will tackle him. But I do think Frank Gore has a big game for the Jets. I do think that's the only player the Jets has a good big game for. So I'm excited to see Frank Gore because I miss Frank Gore. Even though he's 37 coming into the game, I do, do think he 67. has another – Oh, 67. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think I do think he has a big game just because he's the only guy on the team. And it's Frank Gore. You can't ever doubt him out. He finally gets to play against the 49ers. I don't think he's played against us since he left. I believe he played with, with us the against the Colts. Yeah. With the, with the Colts. So I mean, mm-hmm. he's had his he's had his chance, but he's headed into his end of his career. So I do think Frank Gore finally gets that chance to bust some big, big runs on us and It'll be cool to see because he's going to have his yards, but they're not going to win. So it'll that be good to be see a, Frank Gore get his. It would be a, a great feel-good story. Give those warm, fuzzy feelings out to the 49er fan base if he rushes for 100 yards and the Jets lose by 20 points. I just don't see Frank Gore having that big of a day. But you bring up a good point is that who else do they have playmaker-wise? If Jamison Crowder's not playing, Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell's already on the shelf. He's not going to play. He's ruled out. They have Chris Hogan, Brashad Perriman. They'll try to get that ground game going, so I expect Frank Gore to have early opportunities to establish some sort of balance between run and pass. I just don't see it happening. Because if you look at Kenyon Drake last week, I saw a stat that if you took away all of Kyler Murray's rushing yards and his rush attempts, the Cardinals averaged like 3.6 yards per carry somewhere in that ballpark, somewhere in that neighborhood. So the front seven held their own in the ground game taking away Kyler Murray last week. So I don't think Frank Gore is going to get anything going. And if he does, you can't really be mad at that because it's Frank Gore. Unless it costs the Niners the game, then I'll be pissed off. But the Jets are going to be one-dimensional, and it's just up to the pass rush and to get home in the secondary to generate some turnovers off that pass rush coming in quick. Coming in Go ahead. Sorry about that. No, that was it. That's all I was going to say is that I think, the pa- go ahead. Sorry. I think the big difference from from what uh, Arizona was doing versus what the Jets can do in the run game is Arizona runs from shotgun majority of the time when they have Kenny and Drake in the game. So when you're running from shotgun, you're at a disadvantage because you either have to you have to sell the pass set so your offense your offensive line is in more of a two-point stance rather than a three-point stance and you're already 5 yards off and you have to kind of like wiggle your way through. So I think the Jets should have a better rushing attack than the Arizona Cardinals did. And that's the thing that I'm excited to see because I'm one of the biggest Frank Gore fans you'll ever meet. I mean, 
growing up watching Frank Gore, I had everything, 21 jersey, everything you could think of. So I'm excited, really excited to actually see Frank Gore on the field um, for an entire game. Yeah, I'm excited just because of that sentimental value behind it. But like I said, I'm not necessarily doubting Frank Gore's abilities to get anything going. I just don't like his chances against this front seven. I he, I want to say he had six to seven carries last week and had about 24 yards. I think that's what it was. Like he averaged three or four yards per carry, a higher per carry rate than Le'Veon Bell. But the Jets offense... It's going to be very disappointing if this is not a blowout win, in my opinion. Like, this needs to be a blowout win. I want to see the wrath of Kyle Shanahan come out. I want to see him cook up some plays. And that's another thing I had a problem with last Sunday is that when the team was in a rut, when Jimmy Garoppolo was clearly struggling, I felt like Kyle Shanahan was needed right there. And he needed to draw something up to call a play that everyone's like, wow, where'd that come from? Kyle Shanahan is such a genius because that's how he's seen. That's how he's perceived. He's a genius. So they needed that genius on Sunday. It didn't happen until that Kyle Juszczyk play in the fourth quarter where Jimmy Garoppolo hit Juszczyk down the sidelines. But And that was off play action. I was like, Kyle, you got to call more play actions, bro. Get Jimmy Garoppolo going. And finally it happened, and they started moving the ball again. But the keys to Sunday's game is Garoppolo's got to get rolling early. There's got to be a good balance between run and pass. And when Garoppolo's passing, the ball's got to be out of his hands quick. It's got to be off play action. The defense, the pass rush needs to get home and play so well that you're going to be like, Richard who? Richard Sherman? You got Akella Witherspoon, Emmanuel Mosley out there holding it down because the pass rush is going to be getting home so quick. So those are my keys to the game. For for Kyle Shanahan, you're talking about how he needed to get um, Jimmy into the rhythm that juice play in fourth quarter he actually ran that play earlier in the game yep and it was um, i was watching the all 22 on it he oh. actually ran it he lined juice up as an h back on the outside he tried to try to leak him out on the other end but the offensive line didn't block we had chancellor jones coming from the right side and um mike will get you into didn't do too good of a job so he had to step into the pocket and as he stepped into the pocket the interior started collapsing on him and he ended up being yep. sacked on it he was wide open, but you wide can't open. really you can't hit him on that when there's pressure. So um, there's a few times Kyle called up plays, he could get pressured, or Jimmy just didn't make the throw. So I do think Jimmy needs to be much better, but I do want to see Kyle use that play action a lot more. I don't want Jimmy in the shotgun where he's flat-footed and he's just standing there. Right? Watching the all twenty-two, there was too many times where he was just flat-footed and he just like this. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, I need I need his feet going. I need him actually moving around like he's progressing through the plays but i think the biggest key for victory this weekend is our defensive line getting home to sam darnold um they finally get to play against a non-mobile quarterback it's kind of rough when you start off against kyler murray who i do think is an mvp candidate um so i do think we do see devon kinlaw get his first sack of the season i do think bosa gets two sacks and i do think armstead gets a either a sack or half a sack yeah, I'm expecting at least a four-sack performance from the defensive line. They need it. And if you look at the sacks from last week, I believe there was only two between Kerry Hyder and DJ Jones. So I'm expecting Bosa to have a big game, and we'll see what happens with D Ford. I'm a little worried if D Ford does not play because I said this going into the season that I view D Ford as a top-five player in terms of the team's success, along with Jimmy Garoppolo, 
and George Kittle, Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, and then D Ford. So I have D Ford in the top five as far as importance goes, and he needs to be out there. He's making so much money. I get he restructured his contract, did the team a solid, and cleared up all that cap space that they haven't really done anything with yet. And I was a huge advocate to sign Jadeveon Clowney with that cap space they cleared up. That didn't happen. That's water under the bridge. We move on. But without Ronald Blair and without – if D Ford can't go, who's going to be that sidekick for Bosa? I think Kinlaw's too raw in his early career to be able to be a reliable pass rushing threat, a consistent pass rushing threat like we saw from DeForest Buckner. Eric Armstead, the jury's not out on Eric Armstead. Was last year a fluke year? Was last year a fluke year? He doubled his sack total, his career sack total last year. He had four and a half, five sacks, I want to say, or, or somewhere mm -hmm. in that ballpark going into the 2019 season and then closed out the year with 10. Or maybe he had 10 and then he got 10 again. I forget exactly what it was. I, I believe I he had nine. I believe he had nine and nine. He 10 or something like that. Yeah, so he doubled his career sack total last season alone. Yeah, I'm, I didn't mean a low ball in there. He was definitely around the 8, 9, 10 range. I do believe you're correct that it was 9, and then he got 9 or 10 last year, whatever it was, 9.5. He's great in run support, but Eric Armstead's not a consistent pass rusher. So you need to have Nick Bosa sidekick, who is D Ford, and D Ford did not look good on Sunday. He looked slow. There was a lack of effort I saw in a couple different plays. So where are you, D4? The team needs you. You're being paid as one of the top pass rushers in the game. You need to step up. So we'll see what happens, but I'm in total agreement that the defensive line, the 49ers defensive line, will really dictate this game. And again, on paper, this game should be nowhere close. This should not be a close game. This should not be a game the 49ers sweat out. They need to dismantle the Jets. And Adam Gase, Adam Gase, come on, guy, it is introductory press conference has his eyes wandering everywhere. We don't want to lose to Adam Gates. You don't want to lose to Adam Gates, one of the worst coaches in the NFL. So this game should not be close. I'm expecting it to be a blowout. I'm expecting the Niners to cover the seven point spread. And if they don't, I'm getting close to pushing the panic button because what the hell? See for, for, I, I don't think D4 is going to be Nick Bosa's sidekick this week. I think it's going to be Javon Kinlaw. What they're going to do Javon Kinlaw had a great first game. I was watching his, his all 22 for only having 30 snaps. He played really well. I mean, the stat line doesn't show, but when you're playing a mobile quarterback in a um, offense who runs the spread, you're not going to see interior defensive line do much in the game statistically. But what I think what they're going to do, they're going to line up Javon Kinlaw on the three technique on the left side. They're going to have um, Nick Bosa on the right side at his normal position. And they're going to allow, for Javon Kinlaw to win inside on the left, so where if Nick Bosa does flush Sam Darnold out, it's to Javon Kinlaw. If he's, if they're on the same side, they could also run some stunts and do some other stuff, which would free up Bosa. So I do think it's going to be the Kinlaw and Bosa show. Um, I don't think we're, have to, we're going to have to really rely on D Ford in Armstead. I think the time for Kinlaw is now. I, um, I know Nick Bosa said he was extremely excited from what he's seen. So I do think it's going to be the Javon Kinlaw show with Nick Bosa. So this is why I view D Ford as so important because if you remove him from the pass rush, that element of speed is no longer there. And I believe that teams are going to know, it shouldn't even be a question, are going to start double teaming Nick Bosa 
So if you have a tight end chipping with the left tackle or vice versa on the right side, wherever Bosa lines up, they're going to be focusing on Bosa. And if you saw how drastically, keep this in mind, this is very important that, and it's absolutely something that everybody needs to be aware of, is that last year when there was DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and Nick Bosa all on the defensive line healthy without D4, there was a huge step back. And Javon Kinlaw is not where DeForest Buckner was as a pass rusher, is as a pass rusher. And if you see what happened to that 49ers pass rush last year without D4, they gave up 10 more points per game. It went up from 16.6 points per game to right around 26. They gave up 50 more passing yards. They generated less turnovers. They went from averaging three to four sacks a game to around a sack per game. Nick Bosa had a like for every seven games would have five sacks in a seven game stretch, average a sack every three games without D Ford. He's the ultimate X factor. Having that second pass rusher that brings speed just helps make the defense whole. And if he's not available on Sunday, um, it's difficult to expect a big impact from those other guys because they're going to double Bosa. And if you look at pro football focus, which by no means is the end-all be-all, the Jets' offensive line graded out well. So we'll see what happens, but I do believe that deep board's an integral part of the pass rush. But it can go either way. So we'll have to just wait and see. I know what you're talking about with Bosa saying he's very excited about Kinlaw because Bosa came out and said that right now Kinlaw's he sees Kinlaw at being only at around 50% of his potential. So if you put that in perspective, you're like, this guy's half the player he potentially could be, which is what Nick Bose is talking about. 49ers made a damn good draft pick. And I don't feel like people necessarily, because I've saw some slander on Kinlaw, and I don't think it's because they feel like he's a bad defensive tackle. I just feel like defensive tackles, unless you have a Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, Geno Atkins, DeForest Buckner, you're not going to feel a huge impact from your defensive tackle. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think D4 necessarily was the reason why the 49ers defensive line went down. I think it was because they had no one to actually put there. So when Ronald Blair was there, I think the defensive line would have stayed exactly as dominant as it was if they had D4. They had literally no backup defensive end to play that position. They were running out Anthony Zettel. They ran out um, Demontre Moore. So they're running out guys who are normally not on the NFL roster, but mainly on a practice squad roster. So that's the that was the issue for me. I don't think it was the D4 not playing. So I do think the 49ers end up winning out, and I do think they blow out the New York Jets. I think the score is going to be 34 to 7. That's a big one. That's the kind of loss that would – That's the kind of loss that would – I mean, the win. That's the kind of win – that would satisfy me having the 49ers win by 27 points. If I did my math correctly off the top of my head, that's the kind of win where it's like, okay, we took care of our business, blew out the Jets like we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to win a nail-biter. We're supposed to blow them out. And then you get ready for New York, which is another favorable matchup. You get ready for the Eagles. You get ready for the Dolphins. Of course, you have to have that week-by-week approach. But I'm looking at that Rams game week five, I believe. Weeks, mm-hmm. week five. It was week five. Where, yep, because n- no, week six. No, week six, week six. Yeah, week six, because it's after the Dolphins game. And I know the Eagles game's week four. So it's a big game coming up. And I just want to touch on D4 one more time. And I'm going to ask you this is because I was there against the Vikings 
in that Kirk Cousins game in the NFC divisional round where you just saw the energy. And it could be because they were coming off a bye week. They had that extra week's rest. But with D Ford on the field, that pass rush just looked like it was on a whole nother level. And again, I'm acknowledging that they had a week, off, uh, extra week off. But there's something special about a D Ford when he's on that just unlocks this defense and just takes it to the unbelievable heights that we saw last year. And I don't know if Ronald Blair has that same sort of impact. I see Ronald Blair as more of a excellent rotational pass rusher, situational pass rusher. But you're absolutely on the money that last year without Ford, there is nobody. Nobody. We definitely would have benefited. The team would have benefited from having Blair, especially in the Super Bowl, because that pass rush got tired. But D Ford, his impact, and they're paying him. If he doesn't have a good year, he's going to get cut. That's what's going to happen. And I think even if he has a good year, he's going to get cut. I think they're going to eventually try to re-sign Ronald Blair and have Ronald Blair stay at that position. When Ronald Blair went down, he had nine games played with three sacks on limited snap reps. So for me, that was the interesting sign to like, whoa, all right, three, three sacks, nine games, didn't play much in each of those nine games. Pretty good statistics-wise to back up both and D4. So I do think he's eventually going to be the 49er starting defensive end. I got to disagree. Ford is had one of the highest sack rates in the NFL last year. He's a speed rusher. He's already proved he's an established pass rusher he can be a consistent pass rusher the only questions around him can he stay healthy and ronald blair has those same questions can he stay healthy he if i remember correctly finished two different seasons on ir i believe there might have been either in the first season with kyle shanahan or maybe it was in 2016 because ronald blair was a trent balky pick he's already shown that there's some concerns around his ability to stay healthy as well so Blair is a lot cheaper than Ford, but Ford is more established. He plays at a premium position, and his speed is 100% needed on the pass rush, within the pass rush, and Blair just doesn't have that. See, for me, I'm going to go ahead and keep this going right now because this is a good conversation. D Ford, I think, for me, D Ford is one of those guys where he benefited from having Rick Armstead, DeForest Buckner, and Nick Bosa on the line. I mean, when you look at the uh, defensive line, who would you rather protect or block? Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, or Arik Armstead, who Arik Armstead was having a great game, a great season. Um, DeForest Buckner is arguably a top five defensive tackle, and Nick Bosa is already one of the so was already one of the top five edge rushers in the NFL. Or would you rather block D Ford, who potentially is going to be in 20 snaps a game, if that? So that's where he benefited, and that's why he looked so good because he had such limited reps versus offensive lines who were they were getting beat up by the Armsteads, the Buckners, and the Bosas. For him to come in and just be cleanup duty, where he already has fresh legs because he hasn't played all season and only played twenty snaps a game to take over. So, D Ford. Didn't he lead the sack the NFL in sacks two years ago for the Chiefs, or wasn't he top five? He was a Pro Bowler for the Chiefs. He, uh, he had, was a Pro Bowler, but he didn't lead the he didn't lead the, um, the NFL in sacks. He only had thirteen. He had thirteen sacks. So yeah. you're telling me that a guy with 
13 sacks. You look at him and then you look at Eric Armstead. You're going to choose to defend Eric Armstead over D Ford. Eric Armstead was made. The reason why Eric Armstead set for life right now and his great grandkids are set for life. The reason why he got paid $80 million is because he was on a pass rush with DeForest Buckner and D Ford and Nick Bosa. See, Eric see, Armstead, when you look at Jerry Hare, when you look at D Ford, no, I think they both were, but at the time, at the time of this current season, when Arnick Armstead is breaking out and having a great season due to being alongside uh, Buckner and Bosa, as well as Ford, teams are like, okay, this player is the one who's getting more one-on-one matchups. He wins majority of his one-on-one matchups, and he's in the game a lot more than the D Ford. So we should literally make sure we have eyes on him and D Ford. Let him go one-on-one with the right tackle. I mean, half the time he's half the time he only has one move, a speed rush move. If we could block that move. He's not in the game. It's one of those things where if he was to have more moves, I would be like, okay, D Ford is a real deal. But one move, the speed rush, and he eventually turns it into a bull rush inside. I don't think he's he's the deal. Then I don't how think do you how do you explain him being in the league for six years, seven years, whatever it's been, and him being able to consistently win with that move throughout his entire career? It hasn't been. Able to, if if we look at his career, Nick. His, he's only had one. So his 2017-18 season, the year he made the Pro Bowl, he had 13 sacks. He had a 10-sack tw- season in 2016. Besides that, he had two sacks one season, four sacks another, and one and a half his rookie year. And last year, he had six and a half sacks. So it's a guy who's very inconsistent in producing his stats. So, so it's one of those things where I want to focus too much on him when you have three other defense alignment who are, at the time, I'm not going to include Armstead, but at the time, Buckner and Bosa were two of the best linemen in the NFL. Arik Armstead stepped up and was a very productive piece along that defensive line. So I'm not arguing that Ford is a better pass rusher, defensive lineman, edge rusher, everyone to look at it as Nick Bosa or DeForest Buckner, because I feel like Ford is a contributor I'm, tr- I'm blanking on the word that i'm trying to he's just one of those guys that's in addition to he's the sidekick he's not the main guy your focal point of a pass rush although he was on the chiefs and you got to acknowledge that him and chris jones very similar to to forrest buckner and how things were laid out last year he was able to have double digit sack years multiple times and eric armstead is not the pass rusher that D Ford is. If you look and you take a closer look at everything, Armstead was the beneficiary of a lot of quarterbacks running directly towards him because everybody else was doing the dirty work. So if D Ford, if D Ford was is the great pass rusher he was, why did the Kansas City Chiefs elect to go with um Jones and then trade for Frank Clark? Because they saw value in getting a second round pick for D Ford. And then I'm pretty sure they traded that a second round pick for Joe. I mean, for um, Frank Clark. So they did. So they, they, so they literally got a second rounder from us, traded that back to Seattle to be, get a better defensive end. Because if you look at it, they literally didn't win any picks. They didn't pick up any draft capital, but they eventually signed a defensive end who's better than D Ford because they saw that D Ford cannot win consistently and Frank Clark could win at a higher rate. That's what I'm trying to, I understand where you're coming from that. He's the Robin to Nick Bosa's Batman, but I do think that 
if we were to pick up a be- uh, another defensive end, if Blair's healthy, I think Blair could be that Robin to Bosa's Batman. Well, we'll see. For Blair is a free agent at the end of the year. D Ford, if he plays out his contract, should have three more years. So it's early to tell. I'm a big D Ford advocate because when he's healthy, I see the impact he has on the field and how he rounds out the defense. But you bring up good points about the Chiefs trading Ford to then trade for Clark. So we'll see. But focusing on Sunday, Niners need to get a win. They need to blow out the Jets. Marco says it's going to be 34-7. I'll take that 34-7 as well. This needs to be a double-digit, high teens, low 20s victory for the 49ers. Not a nail-biter. Not a game that should come down to the final seconds. Kyle Shanahan versus Adam Gase. This is where the revenge tour starts. It should have started last week. It was delayed. They need to get revenge for multiple reasons this week against the Jets. This is the third episode of the Faithful Fanatic Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Newman, joined with Marco Martinez. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at FaithfulFanPod underscore. I misspoke last week. The Twitter account's brand new. There's a lot of controversy with the Twitter handle. Twitter's very picky about what you can have in your Twitter handle. So FaithfulFanPod underscore at NinerNick underscore 22 for myself, at Marco underscore Mart 1205 for Marco, his Twitter. We'll be back with live reactions on Sunday immediately following the Jets-Niners game. Thanks for tuning in.